Welcome to the Legendarium. I want to put in there, we don't go to the Dumais Wells until part part two. <laughs> so don't bother listening to this one. It's right. worthless. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Podcast number 130. Uh, This is Wheel of Time, book number six, Lord of Chaos. I can fairly safely say that this is our most anticipated episode ever, just because it's been so long since we did book five, and people are getting a little pissed. So it's not anticipated in a great way. But anyway, here we are. I'm Craig Hanks. I'm your host. And over there, he's as peppy as a cheerleader. I'm just not sure how I feel about that skirt. It's Ryan Bruckman. Shake in the pom-poms. Shake in the pom-poms. <laughs> Put your pom-poms back in. All right. And his bark is worse than his bite until he puts his dentures back in. It's Ken Johnson. Boy, you don't even know. I got the stainless steel dentures now. And he's <laughs> grouchier than Tommy Lee Jones and about half as attractive. It's Kyle Lemon. Hey, Tommy Lee Jones is an American hero. Sure. I'm just saying... I would kick him out of bed for eating crackers. Uh, he wouldn't care. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So before we get to uh, the book and stuff, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first of all, Wheel of Time fans should rejoice. You're getting three Wheel of Time episodes in a row because uh, last week we did our uh, kind of mid-book episode um, and then we're uh, recording this one. And uh, anyway, and uh, like I said in the last episode, I'm going to be moving, and so I'll peel back the curtain and let you guys know. We're just going to do both Lord of Chaos episodes and put those out a week apart. The reason I'm telling you that is because that's why you won't get uh, a a notice that we're going to record that next week. So we'll just record both of those now and and release the next one in a week. Um, But after that, we'll get to some other stuff. I just lent Ryan... Zelda on the Switch. Have you been playing that? Yes. Uh, if How's you it mean, going? I have been walking a lot because it's so <laughs> big. It's so big. Um, if you're... If <laughs> Stop, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you walk very far and you haven't done anything, it's because you missed something. It's it, it looks so open, but there's it's just packed full of stuff. Anyway, but the whole point of bringing this up is I think maybe we'll do a review of the game at some point That'd be um, awesome. and, and talk about the whole Zelda franchise, but specifically that game. I love cooking. It's like my favorite thing. Are you talking oh, about oh, the game? I see. Are you yeah, still okay. talking about the game? The game yeah. Yeah. I you, was like, you cook in the game. Right. It's fun. I made some <laughs> dubious food that they said it was questionable about whether or not I should eat it. I, I love it. That's what Stephanie said, pixelated. too. Oh, wait. Um, you're still talking about the game. All right. Sorry. But th- th- this is not a Zelda review episode. So uh, let's move on. Uh, Thelegendarium.reddit.com. Go join the conversation. We've got uh, many, many people already have joined. Uh, well, I mean,. Not maybe not for Reddit, but uh, many people have joined and and joined in the conversation. I have loved hearing from everybody there. I especially love, uh, you know, we get pictures sometimes. Like we sent a shirt out to somebody and they they put the pick up and you know fun little things that go on there. So join us there, thelegendarium.reddit.com or and go to patreon.com/legendarium and please support the show there. All right. Now, would it get more subscribers if we promised more Billy Zane? Nope. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure not. <laughs> I could be wrong. Uh, you guys want to recap? Let's yes, please. Re- let's recap. Here we go. Lord of Chaos sees Rand ruling both Camelin and Kyrie and constantly traveling by magic means between the two. But a third stop is soon added to the list, the farm, where Rand has set the erstwhile false dragon Mazram Taim to find, recruit, and teach men who can channel the one power. The goal is to have enough men, enough Ashaman, channeling that they can challenge the White Tower. This shouldn't prove too difficult with the continued rift among Aes Sedai. Elida still holds the tower itself, while the rebels led by Shiriam are still in Salidar. Not a lot of interest happens there until the Hall calls back Egwene from her tutelage with the Aeel Wise Ones. Fearing punishment, she rushes back only to discover, in a move that's barely comprehensible until you remember that this is a book, that she has been chosen as the new Omerlin seat. What? Kid president. <laughs> <laughs> Rand must choose how to deal with separate embassies from both groups of Aes Sedai. Can he support one group over the other? Can he play them off each other? The decision is made for him when the Tower Embassy shields, kidnaps, and tortures him, forcing a rescue with a highly satisfying battle scene at the end, featuring Perrin, the Aiel, Aes Sedai, Ashaman, and all the channeling action your heart could desire. So, that should get us to the end. Story-wise, uh, of course, a lot happens in between all that. So, let's talk Lord of Chaos. Um, first things first, I want to play some voicemails for you guys. Sweet. All I right. put out the call on Reddit and got some voicemails from a few people. We got four of them, so I think I'll do two uh, in this episode and two in the next one. Uh, but uh, this is how you can send in your questions directly. We also take questions... Uh, in the other subreddit forums that we that we post up there uh, but this is the most effective way to make sure that we actually answer your question so uh all right here's the first one this is uh, our old friend au from australia he's sent in another one here we go hey guys au here from sydney australia again so partway through lord of chaos Alana bonds Randall Thor against as well. Now, I know what I would have done in that situation, but I'd like to know from you guys, what would you have done if you were the Dragon Reborn, suddenly bonded against your will? All right. So, first of all, thank you, AU. I think he's uh, probably pretty excited to have some company now on the voicemail front. <laughs> he's, right. been, he's been holding down the fort for a couple weeks in a row. One-man wolf pack. So, all right, he wants to know how or what we would have done in Rand's place uh ken let's go to you well i'd like to think that with my raging temper that is kind of tempered as i've gotten older but still with my raging temper i well i i, I probably would have acted a lot like Rand. only i don't know if i would have necessarily held back i mean because he quickly doesn't he quickly uh wrap him up quick uh, keep them from from channeling i mean mm-hmm. right but then then, then they them. just yeah he shields them and then starts talking i man i would there would have been a whole lot do? of there would have been a whole lot of thrown against the wall if i yeah you know i i, I mean i'd like to think because i mean what a violation and plus he already i mean doesn't trust any eyes to die and the one eyes to die he did trust said oh by the way don't trust any of the others I, I'm a little bit surprised he let it go. So, it, for and anybody, I don't if, think I would have. If it's been a little while since you've read the book, if that didn't jog your memory, basically he meets Varen and Alana, and Alana offers to heal him, and so she grabs his head, 
and bonds him as a warder um, against his will. And later in the book, somebody, some other Aes Sedai says or, or thinks, you know, that was uh, approaching rape. It's a quits. Yeah, And then later on she says, you know what? No, screw that. It wasn't approaching. That was mm-hmm. the equivalent of rape. Right. Um, so, Ryan, do you agree with that? Like, what, what would your reaction have been? What do you think he should have done? Um, my honest reaction probably would have been like, what just happened? I don't know what's going on. And um, very similar to Rand's with the exception of I probably wouldn't have had the the straightforwardness of mind to like shield everyone be like, wait a minute, I got to think this through. Um, I wouldn't have probably gotten into like throwing people against walls or whatever, but you know, maybe a tear would be shed or something. I, <laughs> but I'm on the same bandwagon. Like I probably with, after a few seconds of realizing what had happened, my immediate response would be undo it. Yeah. Undo it right now. Right. And if you don't, my, my threat you know, especially coming from Rand's perspective. Okay, if it was me mm-hmm. and I was the Dragon Reborn and I had all this power and people were coming after me and she did that, I'd probably chop her freaking head off with the <laughs> power. Like, I no, I'm we're done. Yeah. Uh, but from Rand's perspective, he obviously he has this thing about not killing women, and so if I were him, maybe my threat would have been undo it now or I will still you where yeah. you stand. Yeah. yeah. Um, that but. It, it seemed a little bit weird that he kind of let it go so easily. And then it's uh, a little while later in the book, he says, you know, it's amazing what you can just learn to deal with. And I'm like, seriously? Is well, this, it, it seems like there are a couple of things like this that Robert Jordan puts in there that he just, he needs them to happen. He needs something to happen. And so he kind of creates motivation that I don't entirely buy, but you know, whatever. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting, if we've learned a little bit about the warder bond as we've gone along, um, and I'm trying to remember if at this point or not, uh, Brigida. Yes. Yes. She's that was the, the last yeah. book. So, um, <laughs> they all, they all run together at a certain, at point, a certain point, the they? story starts to blend together. Um, which is actually a good thing in my opinion, but, uh, they save her using the warder bond, which right. means there are some additional benefits of having that there. And I don't know if Rand knows that or not, but if he does, that could be something like, well, I guess I'll Any, use it while I got it. Anything that I can get that's going to give me a little bit of an edge right now in terms of healing, dealing with this scar in my side, whatever whatever it is, I'm going to take it. And all I have to do is ignore this woman in the back of my head that I can always feel and point to where she is. Like, I'll deal with that. Oh, and I, I think he can use that to his advantage, too. And I think he realizes it later in the book. like, I always know where she is. I know, you know, she's far away or she's near, but I always can kind of, you know, like a lodestone point right to her. I know where mm-hmm. she is. And and I think he sees the advantage in that. Right. Kyle, any additional thoughts on this one? Yeah. What I think, would you do? Well, having time to have to think about it, I would have bail fired her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have undone it. So that's what I would do thinking about it. Like, oh, what would have I done? I would have just bail fired her. Then bond undone, never happened. Alana's gone, peace, whatever. Peace, um, whatever. But <laughs> I, think that, I think that Rand lets it go because he doesn't understand it. And so he doesn't know what the consequences are if he does, you know, I think all of our immediate reaction is like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you didn't. I'm going to, you know, show you who's who's boss or whatever, kill you, steal you, whatever. What effect is that going to have on Rand? If if an Aes Sedai is bonded to a warder and that Aes Sedai gets stilled. That that would be one of my big questions. We don't know what happens. And so anything that Rand does to Alana 
it's it's almost similar to the bond with, with the with, with the, the bracelet. Yeah, with the bracelet. The idom. Yeah, anything that he does to Alana could affect him as well. And so I think it's actually probably the wisest thing that he does. You know, to Ryan's point, like having that presence of mind to like shield them and then just like get out of there. Um, that's probably the best case scenario. Yeah. But yeah. like I said, thinking back on it, I would have bail fired her. So, so <laughs> it really makes me wonder what would happen to her other. I have, she has other warders, if I remember right. Yeah, I think so. What would happen to if you if you bail fire an Aes Sedai with warders? What happens to the warders? Ooh, oh, youch. Uh, I don't know, and I I can't possibly know. Uh, I have a question though, which would be this this has some implications for the for future books when. Um, uh, Elaine. Elaine has talked frequently about I am gonna bond you as my warder, and you don't have any say in it because I love you, Randall Thor. <laughs> I'm fold her arms under her breasts, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so she wants to do that. Now we know that Aes Sedai can bond several warders. The Greens often do this, but can one warder be bonded by several Aes Sedai? Ooh. And so I, I wonder if that will become... A tug of warder? Oh, Hold on. I'm going to say that yes, it can, based on one thing that we've already seen happen. What? Moraine, uh, Moraine setting and up land. for Lan's bond to transfer at the end uh, when she dies. Uh-huh. Um, but but he's not bi- bonded simultaneously. <laughs> I'm sorry, bond of order. I'm still. I'm going to be on that tug one for a little while. Yeah, tug of order. Sorry. You're I just. Uh, yeah. I, it seems like that there shouldn't be a problem if they can preset so that the bond shifts or something. Whatever. It really then, makes them into like little robots, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. Like I don't program. think there. I don't think there should be a problem. All I right. could see a big showdown know, between Alana and Elaine being. If that's not the case, Elaine being like. Um, that's my bond. <laughs> well, <laughs> Give yeah, it to me. And yeah, could she force Alana to pass the bond over to her? I think could happen. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you do know. Well, I do you know. Just what can't happens. tell. I just can't tell you. Yeah. Okay. I know everything. Uh, there was a there was a comment. I think it was on Reddit recently uh, at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Somebody <laughs> was mentioning that I, I think there's somebody on the podcast who has read it, but they're really good at not spoiling it for the other guys. So kudos to Kyle. Swish. With one exception. With, yeah, with one, one exception. Yeah. One, with one glaring, glaring he also, exception. He also said, I assume it's a he, but I don't really know, but he also said that uh, he's listening to them in reverse order, and so he might not have gotten to that bit yet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Yeah, and I apologize for that again. It's in, I think, our Dragon Reborn <laughs> episode, so... Uh, Whoops. Well, okay. anyway. He's Benjamin buttoning this. <laughs> so, uh, how about another question another voicemail question go for it all right this is darren where are you at darren there we go hi guys my name is darren i'm from wisconsin kenosha wisconsin um my question for a word of chaos is is mazram taim the hidden one of the hidden forsaken it seems like loose theron thinks so um i don't know if it's too much of a stretch but just something to talk about thanks guys love the podcast Bye. all right so Ooh. A leading question, perhaps? Is this somebody trying to it's, clue us in to something? Um, Ryan, you take this one first. Uh, I love the thought. Um, <laughs> but you're wrong. You're wrong, Darren. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. Um, what kind of so name is Darren, anyway? <laughs> here's here's the things that I, I have as kind of a caveat to that concept. Um, why would a Forsaken be a false dragon? 
that because he was started out as a false dragon right. but he was caught he was broken free by his his followers or oh whatever. okay yeah um so that's one of those things like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why a forsaken would choose that route to come forward and especially put themselves in the danger zone of dealing with Aes Sedai coming to steal you know to gentle him and, and things like that right um but that's not to say that he's not a dark friend or he may not have some connections like that because his arrogance and his expectation of being Rand's equal that is very apparent in their interactions definitely says to me that this guy, at some point in time, he and Rand are going to have a showdown. Yeah. Something's going to happen and these two are going to go nose to nose and it's going to be a really impressive fight. And yeah. I'm really nervous about him being in charge of the black tower <laughs> I, right as the guy who has not read who was reading along for the first time that i mean became pretty obvious pretty quickly that having him in charge of a thousand guys who have power and and having very little check and balance because it doesn't seem like Rand shows up very often to to actually see what time is putting into these guys heads doesn't feel like a very well thought out plan and it seems like something is going to have to come to a head pretty quickly between him and time to to quell that by the way it feels like throughout book three four five six that that's kind of like the status quo for rand is nothing seems very well thought through he he goes out he says this is a good idea i'm gonna do it and then he just leaves it to yeah kind of happen i would disagree just because i think i don't think that we see his thought process, but I think that he has a lot of things going on off screen that he's thinking through, uh, especially when you talk about like the battle plan that he and Ruark and Matt have, or he and uh, Bashir and Matt have drawn up. Sure. And like okay. the whole idea yeah. is like, there's only a couple people that really know what's going on. And I think that Jordan is actually doing that to us as readers as well. Right. So Rand's doing that to everybody in Randland and keeping playing all of his cards really close to the vest. That I can see. I think see. Jordan's doing the same thing. Well, with and, with and, Masram Time. Well, no, that no, might be the case, but not, just, time, but just in general. not just uh. with Masram Time. I mean, he takes over, he, he takes the Stone of Tear, sets down some ground rules, and then leaves. Th- and he does that mm-hmm. in, in Kyrian. He does that in so yeah, he everywhere he has else. to. Like, that's... One of the things that's most common with Rand and his interaction with people is he's like one of those really important people in this world and right. like in our world that basically you get 15 minutes with me, make it worth your while. <laughs> right. Like Worth my while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he drops in and says, how's things going to the Black Tower? Can they kill people yet? Great. We're good. I got to go to Kyrian now. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pops open a hole in the fabric and takes, you know, and goes yeah. back to Kyrian. But it, it feels like he's... He's left. He's he's lot of left a lot of things. Yeah, I think you're right about that. With very little guidance, I think you're right about that. I think my my response to the to the question though is yes, I agree 100 percent that obviously Luce Theron goes berserk every time Rand is around Time. Part of yeah. that is why Rand does not want to be around Time because every time he's around him, he has to fight and struggle with Luce Theron to not seize the power from him and kill the man on the spot right plus he needs him he needs somebody who can train these ashman yeah but i think that's part of the reason why he stays away but i think my my follow-up question to the original would be if we do think that Mazrum time is a, a forsaken or playing at one or whatever who would he be because we have, we have several forsaken dead already. Samael, we know, is in Ilion. Ilion. So, and we see Demondred 
in, in the prologue, prologue and the epilogue. But we never, nobody ever knows where he is or what he's doing. Right. That would be, if he were a Forsaken, that would be my guess is that he's Demondred. Because the, in the epilogue, Demondred goes back to the Dark Lord. What do they call him? The Dark One? Mm-hmm. And the Great no. Lord of the Dark. The Great Lord of the Dark. And, and he says, how am I doing? And he's like, like, good job. Two stars. (laughs) If I had thumbs, they'd be up. Could have been better. (laughs) Uh, My my answer to the question, by the way, before I got derailed is it feels like that could be- You derailed yourself, No, before I derailed myself, yes. Is it feels like with the immediate animosity between the two of them, it seems like it would be too obvious to say, yes, that is the case to me. I don't know. So, well, there's, there's one line that really supports the theory. And that's when, uh, Luce Theron is doing his ranting and raving in Rand's head. And he says, should have killed him long ago. Right. Uh, you know, like he recognizes this guy and he knows who he is now. Uh, if if he really did recognize him, it seems like he'd say, "Oh my gosh, it's Demondred, <laughs> Rand, kill that guy," you know. But uh, he's not talking to him by, by well, that point but yet, so. anyway, one of the dynamics that I love about Rand and Luz Theron, though, is that especially towards the end of the book, when it starts to really ramp up, and every time we're in Rand's point of view, he's struggling back and forth. When Luz Theron asks Rand if he's real, so like. Oh, Rand right. is always like, you're in my head, get out of my head. And he goes away and he hides or whatever. And then it starts to get further down the line. And, and when the Aes Sedai capture him and put him in the box, I think that's when it really just... What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> but that's when it really just goes even further. But Rand and Luz Theron actually talk to each other. And at one point, Luz Theron asks Rand if Rand is real. Yeah. So they're, I mean, he, they're full-blown bonkers at this point the first time <laughs> that Rand, that loose there and actually talks to rand it's like oh there mm-hmm. it is this is one of my favorite twists on the whole concept of a hero reborn like i swear in 90 percent of fantasy when a hero's reborn you know their spirit or whatever it is their ability to do something is it is brought forward again by something bergita it's their yeah. density but in the <laughs> <laughs> but in this case like rand literally has this man in his head like this isn't just memories like Matt. This isn't this man is there and they're currently having conversation. So this leads to a very odd question. Is Rand the dragon reborn or is Luz there in the dragon riding like Rand as a <laughs> as a steed, <laughs> a steed basically? <laughs> the dragon rider reborn. Like that's it's a I'm just curious because if it's something about Rand that ha- lets him do, you know, have grab calendar or is it because that Luz Theron is there? The original dragon is there part oh. of it. He's able to do those That's things. That's a good Bef- question. Before we answer that question, before we get too far away from the Mazarin Time stuff, I'll just say we're, we're finished up on in this episode with the voicemails, and I wanted to say thank you very much to those who sent them in. And if you want to send a voicemail, just go to our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, and on every page at the bottom of the page, there's a little orange button that says send voicemail, and it's incredibly easy to do. Uh, you can just use your phone or your webcam or whatever and send us a voicemail. We really appreciate it. It it kind of keeps us on track-ish <laughs> as we try to... Don't underestimate our ability to tangent. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but anyway, so yes, thank you everybody who sent those in and uh, and hope that everybody else will as well. So your question again, Ryan, is, is Luz Theron 
just riding Rand like a dragon, or <laughs> is Rand the dragon, or whatever? <laughs> the current visual in my head is like a mech suit. The Rand is the mech suit, and he's in there like riding, you know. Woo! Because the other thing is that I, f- I, I love the concept that he's having to fight this other man to grab Sidine, like to control this the the power through him. Right. Because apparently he can do that. He is more it's than just a thought a voice yeah. or a voice. Like that, if. <laughs> If I was really concerned, or if I was Rand, I'd be really concerned about what a madman in my head would do with the power and what I would have to do to f- fix that if he got to it first. Because they talk about like him racing him to the power, basically. Right. Well, there's there's the part at the end, after he gets out of the box, where you think... I mean, it, it doesn't say, Luce Theron's in control now, but you, as a reader, especially for the first time, go, did mm-hmm. control just switch here? Is, is this Luce Theron that's in control? But apparently mm-hmm. it wasn't, so... One thing I wonder, too, is Rand is obviously the Dragon Reborn. He's the soul of Luz Theron, but he's also a man who can channel affected by the taint of Sidene, and he's going to go mad. Is Luz Theron talking to him in his head actually the soul of the dragon talking to him, or is it the madness, you know, the voice of the taint is that the is that the madness you know showing itself or whatever because how would that be in one of the ashaman who's going mad because i think it mentions that tame says that he's had one that like went mad like a week after he learned how to how to channel and like it would be really interesting to get in the you know get a point of view chapter from another man who could channel that was affected by the madness because i think we can all agree that Rand seems pretty crazy at this point. The but other he's fighting is, it pretty well. Well, but he seems is like it, he's fighting it. Is well. it the actual madness, or is it just because he does have loose Theron going on, or you know, it's going to be perceived from everybody else as the madness? That's but it okay. Might not so be. I've been wondering about this. It's a question in my mind as I'm reading because yeah, he doesn't exhibit any other signs of madness. So he talks about reaching through uh, the the oily taint, <laughs> oh man, to get to Sidene. And, and, and it talks about that pretty frequently, but that isn't enough to make him go crazy. It's this voice and get out of my head and all this stuff. And so what I would wonder is, yeah, are the other guys who are channeling hearing voices, are they hearing Luz Theron's voice? Why is it that, uh, you know, why did Mazram Taim or Loghain declare themselves false dragons? Was it because they had Luz Theron in their head and they go, oh my, oh, I, Luz Theron, I'm Luz Theron. He's in my head. I must be mm-hmm. the dragon reborn. And so I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Luz Theron is in kind of a Dark One-esque prison and then every man who can channel is like a potential exit point for him to get out of that prison. Hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, every time they channel, uh, it kind of weakens the, you know, them being like a seal on his prison. I, I'm totally talking out my rear end here, well, I, but I wonder <laughs> if it could be something along those lines. I vaguely remember in one of our previous podcasts discussing an idea like that, but it's not loose there and going to everyone's man. Like if everyone is reborn in the wheel, if they keep getting reincarnated, basically, uh-huh. if it's their previous iterations, reborn, oh, the right, Ashima, right, their right. previous iterations, they're the voices they're hearing. Yeah, it could be. So yeah. I don't know. It could just be like, 
ha- old ham radio signals or something like that just coming through. <laughs> <laughs> it's their kid talking to their dad like frequency. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that one. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. That was a... That's a good show. That was anyway. an obscure reference. Okay. Deep cut. <laughs> so <laughs> That's what you get here on The Legendarium. Um, I've got a few written questions that we got through Reddit, but before we get to those, maybe we do a round of our own bullet points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, do you got something? I have a question for you guys, because again, this is another one of those, everything's kind of blended together. I need to know if we've had much discussion about this yet. True power versus one power. Uh, tell me oh, more. The true source versus the mm-hmm. one power. Not not yet. Okay, then I have to hold that question until later. Oh, what did you just spoil something? No, 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 no. You, uh, okay. In dra- in the Dragon Reborn, we the true power is this is briefly mentioned there. Uh, um, but it's not really discussed at length. But it's a piece that I'm wanting to discuss further. Okay. And if it's not here yet, then we'll wait. It's I'm something ready for that, that as well. It's, it's something that sounds like I've heard. <laughs> I'm like, wait, that sounds familiar. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, it's in Dragon Reborn when Rand is fighting in the. Um, that's sorry. That's Great Hunt. Um, or it's in Dragon Reborn when he's fighting Ishamael. Ishamael tries to draw, and it says he draws on the true power, something like that, oh. to try and pre- overpower Rand, something like that. It's a little variation, but I. I'm just interested in discussing yeah, it further. Right. Huh. Well, I guess we'll get there at some well, some point. Got something to look forward to. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything you wanted to bring up? Oh, man, I've got a lot of stuff. But let's go to one of my favorite things in this book was when Nynaeve healed Loghain oh, and man. Swan oh, right. and Liana. Uh, so Nynaeve rediscovers or possibly discovers for the first yeah, time. Not rediscovers. Well, I mean, we don't know what they were doing in the Age of Legends. Well, right? because even, even Mogidian says that it's impossible and, and is surprised that it happens. Oh, okay. So at least, at least into this. As far back as the as Forsaken go. As far as that age, yeah. yeah. Okay, so she she heals the gentled Loghain and the stilled Suan and Liana kind of by accident he wrote it in a pretty cool way yeah i really love the way that he wrote it because she's so absent-mindedly just like fiddling with the power she's super annoyed and mad of all the things that are going on in salidar and i think rightfully so because that's just a whole mess of just ridiculousness in salidar yeah and uh you know they're they're treating Nynaeve and elaine as accepted and they're not used to being that treated that way because they've been away from the tower for so long. And so Nynaeve's got all these things happening to her and, and she's really frustrated because they're trying to break her block and she goes to start healing or just study Loghain and she starts rumbling through her mind of all the things that are pissing her off. And then she's just like absentmindedly doing something and then all of a sudden it works. And I think that that's so true to life because I feel like, especially when I write at work, Sometimes I have to step away from something and I have to let it like, I don't know, just go in my subconscious while I'm thinking about other things or I'm working on something else. And then you get that idea in the back of your mind. It's like, oh, yeah, that solves this other problem I'm not really focusing on. And she was not focusing on healing at that point. She was really focusing on all these other weird stresses and problems. And then it just clicked. And I felt like that was pretty true to life. Yeah. It also brings... um when the yellow Aja is kind of grilling her on how she did it, uh, they're talking yeah. about you used fire. Like mm-hmm. what? What in what possessed you to do that? But yeah, I, it's amazing how 
the concept of it's always done this way. We know, you know, the the Sedai way of if we haven't figured out how to do it, it can't be done. Uh, right. Really, it, it's locked them into they've lost a lot of things, and it locks them into not progressing because they can't. They're not willing to even try stuff like that. So now all of a sudden, the yellow lodge is like, well, what else could we stick in there and see what would happen? Because it also affects their. At least we know from Swan's perspective that it affects her strength in the power. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I uh, One of my favorite passages, maybe my favorite passage so far in all of the Wheel of Time was when she healed Swan and, and Liana, but it kind of concentrates on Swan a little bit more. And, uh, and Swan Sanche, this really kind of like gnarled oak branch of a... <laughs> of a former Omerlin, you know, she kind of breaks down and just can't handle how happy she is to have the power back. And the way that he wrote that and, and Swan's reaction to it, I, uh, I'm like kind of listening to it on my commute and I'm like, Oh, I gotta, you know, wipe a little tear. And this is great. Uh, you know, who knew that I would have been so affected by one of the most annoying characters in and the series. Craig's heart grew three sizes that day <laughs> and he gave all the Christmas presents back to the who's. <laughs> um, anyway, but yes, back to your point, Ryan, um, it may not have worked as well on Suwan as it did on Loghain. I wonder if a man must heal a woman for it to work completely. Um, it's interesting because it brought up a, a question that Nynaeve thought, like, does that mean a man and a woman have to be healed differently in other things? Right. Or, you know, I mean, there's there's so many things. It just opens the floodgates. And like Ryan was saying, the I said I have put themselves in a box where they can't. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> the box. Or they put Rand in a box. No, but they, they've put themselves in a box where if we haven't figured it out by now, it's impossible. And it really shows the prideful nature of the Aes Sedai society. Um, and then the the reaction of the yellows when Nynaeve has just pulled off this straight up miracle. Nobody's ever even thought about doing this. It's impossible. She does it. And then they're like, oh, well, you should have done it this way. And you should have done it that know, way. Right. And it's, it's just so pretentious and just like, I just want to strangle them all. Later in the book, Nynaeve is kind of thinking to herself and she's like, oh, it feels so good to say I'm an Aes Sedai of the yellow Aja. And I'm like, bitch, start your own Aja. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you know. You like, could be the tangerine Aja. Like, yeah, seriously. Like, be the orange Aja. Just <laughs> the do purple something. Aja. You just did the impossible. Like, you do not need these people. Mm. You know, they have shown nothing but contempt and disrespect for you and you've earned this. So... I yeah I was really like thrown off by that whole thing with the yellows. Screw those ladies. That, that would be fun to see them. See one of them like break away like that. Forming my own Aja. This is the ninth Aja. I'm 18. You know, I do what I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's 26, man. All 26. Right. Come on. Egwene's 18. That's right. And now Amarlin. And now Amarlin. Boo. <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle, you like Egwene? Lover. Yeah. Lover. I loved loved <laughs> Egwene in this book. I've come around on her. I uh, really have. To, like I said, to liking I, her? I, yeah. I think okay. I've said well, it multiple been, times on the podcast. She does some sweet stuff yeah. occasionally. That does not make her a good person. <laughs> yeah. And 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I don't think she's a I bad just, person. Do you remember? I think it was at, at the very beginning of book five. I mentioned the episode where she ran around the tents and mm-hmm. didn't even think of stopping before the 50 laps was mm-hmm. up. And I, I said, right. this shows growth. And you're like, screw that. I hate her. So it can't show growth. <laughs> no, I said it um, shows pride. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but there was another instance and that was when she left the Aiel and she, she could have just gone, mm-hmm. but she has obviously grown as a person in some ways and she values the honor that that the Aiel desire mm-hmm. uh, you know she wants that for mm-hmm. herself and and goes through the punishment that she knows she deserves mm-hmm. um, anyway I, I I like that scene quite a lot uh Ryan you're you're nodding your head are we actually agreeing on something I really yes it's uh, mark mark the time code type code yeah no I really liked that scene um that's actually what came to my mind when you first started talking there was because I talked before how much I love the concept of Ge-Ito mm-hmm. and for her to, it shows her understanding it. And it's one of the first times that we as readers can, if, if you followed her journey there, you should be able to understand the concept pretty completely by now. The idea that I've incurred toe or toe. I, I've obligation. obligation to you. I have toe. Yeah. Um, Ten of them. Yes. <laughs> oh, har har. That was not nearly as good as uh, tug of war. Tug of war. No, yeah. that was Min's joke in the book. She said, oh, I don't know what this right. has to do with somebody's toes. Anyways, yeah. stealing jokes from Min. I missed it. But I, as a whole, I, I really enjoy that sequence. And her time with the island, figuring that out is going to affect her as Omerlin. And her, she's been brought in to be a puppet. That's not going to last. If you have any sense at all, you know that that's, that that's going to blow up in the faces of the Aes Sedai who brought her in uh, because they are yeah. not the Aiel and they have not put themselves through that rigorous lifestyle and they're going to learn pretty quick. Well, and she yeah. made that pretty apparent really quickly. Is I, I know why they made me Omerlin and I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to... Got to play the game for a little while, yeah. but just know that yeah. at some point in time... You're all gonna be mine. Yeah, I made that pretty clear. Yeah. I loved that. Great moment I when, loved uh, that. When Suwan said, "Oh, they made a big mistake, didn't yeah. they?" And she's like, "Ah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I will say, I do think it's a really important scene going forward for the relationship between the Aiel and the Wetlanders as well, because right now their only tie is Rand, because he's the Car Karn. Right. But the wise ones now respect the hell out of Egwene. Even though she incurred this massive amount of tow, she paid for it. She understands them. They would actually bring her back if she didn't want to be Aes Sedai and allow her to become a, a wise one apprentice again and become a wise one and essentially and join become them. Aiel, so now yeah. we have now we have two um, of the most powerful people on the planet that have really strong relationships to probably the most deadly fighting force on the planet. So you have Rand. Yeah. On one one end, and the Aiel are sworn and lo- or not sworn, but they're loyal to him. And then you have Egwene, and the wise ones respect her and would, you know, would counsel with her. And so I think that's really important going forward that there are relationships and bridges being built, other than just Rand, that tie these peoples together. Right, right. Uh, okay, Ken, do you have any bullet points you want to bring up? Don't say no. No, I, I I had several. I, although, I I found that uh, Min has replaced Fail as my least favorite character, but that's only because really? Fail wasn't in the book. Well, she was at the end. Yeah, and she, the moment she showed up, she was 
Okay, just but tell me, tell me why you don't like men. I, she, she's just annoying. She shows up with Rand, and now she's all flirty, and she's jumping on his lap, and oh look, I'm your, I I sure love you, Rand, and blah. It's like, oh my gosh, you're just annoying. Ken, Get do you me. hate love? I hate. <laughs> do you men. hate happiness? Men, M I N, not M E N. Men are all right, but men is awful. Well, I mean. Get used to it. We learned back in <laughs> I know, but Live of the World, I think the very beginning, that he's going to have three women in his life. Right. And, and she's now we, one of them. Now we know who they all are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've but, got all three there. So you know, but I'm, I'm that's going to be a fun come together. I'm open to coming around on a character because I did on Egwene, and I, I love that whole, yeah. You two, stop it. Sorry. I have, <laughs> I have a question that I hope can be resolved pretty quickly. At the beginning of the book, um, I believe it's think it's a prologue time frame. There is the meeting of the Dark Friends Anonymous, and um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my name is Paul, <laughs> and I swore to the Dark One. Hi, Paul. <laughs> um, the Dark One's order: Let the Lord of Chaos reign. Oh yeah, there's our book title. Is that oh, yeah. specifically referring to Rand? Is he saying let Rand do his thing right now and be be a, a source of chaos, or is there something else that that's supposed to be? That's what I that's what I took it as to me. Well, because yeah, going in, Demon I assume Dread, so. Yeah, that's how Demon Dread yeah. interprets it as well. That it's Rand. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I have a counter for this though. Going going into the book, you, I thought, oh, it's pretty clear. The Lord of Chaos is the Dark One, but then it became pretty clear to me the Lord of Chaos is is Rand. But then, funny thing enough, as as we got into the White Cloaks and into the two factions of Aes Sedai and everything, the Lord of Chaos is clearly Robert Jordan. <laughs> I'm just saying. Truth. <laughs> uh, okay, um, what's your counter to this? Well, Kyle? it's not necessarily a counter, but if it were me, who, I guess I'll throw this out, who do you guys think is the most chaotic character so far in the series. Oh, oh, causing the most chaos wherever he's at. I would think it's Rand. <laughs> it's got to be. Everywhere he goes. I mean, like I said it earlier, he Rand leaves is a trail of the strongest of... and it does cause a lot of things, but I'm also not beyond saying that Matt causes a lot of chaos wherever Ooh, he's I, at. I that was my first instinct, but then when uh, I thought about it, I was like, you know what? He's actually a really stabilizing influence. Yeah. He I, walks into chaos and fixes it usually. Yeah. Yeah, usually he point. does, yeah. yeah. And Rand I think produces chaos in his wake unintentionally, but he also brings order. Oh, pot on fame. Pot on oh, fame. Oh. Yeah. Now, there is I I wish that I had it and I marked it and then I lost the page cuz my kid was playing with my book and it lost all the markings that I had. And your dog ate your homework. Yep, pretty much. But there is a chapter in there where we it, we get a little bit of pot on Fane, and he talks about how he has used his influence of Eridol or of Shadar Logoth, and he's he's now gone, and we've seen him influence Pedro Nile a little bit. Mm, he's yeah. gone, and he's been, I think it was Ordeeth, Ordeeth. Yeah. and he's whispered in Pedro Nile's ear a little bit to make things happen with the White Cloaks. And the White Cloaks are always stirring up trouble. They stir up the trouble in the two rivers. They're behind the scenes always causing chaos, essentially. He's also had his hand in the White Tower. um, And Elida is now sending her embassy. And they're trying, you know, they go to kidnap Rand or whatever. And behind the scenes, pulling strings, doing things, I think is Pat on Fane. Yeah. And in my opinion... He is what he is the most chaotic character because there is. So we, we talk about Matt and Matt has 
his luck, right? He is basically the epitome of chance. Everything happens to him and he, but it's good. Everything, well, not necessarily everything, but like he's the one side of the coin. And for me, Potemfin is the other side. He's that chaos coin Mm. or chaos side of the coin because everything imaginable that is terrible has happened to Pat on Fane. And so in, to, to me, that is the definition of chaos. And since he's behind the scenes trying to influence things here and there in in the vein of Shadar Logoth, plus he's connected to the Dark One, to me, he would be the Lord of Chaos. Right. And I think it's been mentioned that the Forsaken want to hunt him down because he's a problem as well. But he's obviously... He's a competitor, kind he's, of. Well, yeah, kind of. But he's also... It always talks about how Shadar Logoth's evil and the Dark One's The Dark evil One didn't get along. ...are basically counter-evils. And so anyways, I'm just throwing that out there. That's my counter to it. We won't dwell on it very much more because there's so much cool other stuff to talk about in this book. But Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Padan Fane and Shadar Logoth... Uh, well, and mostly just Shadar Logoth. I have a prediction. I was going to save this till the end when we did predictions, but this is as good a spot as any, I guess. Uh, prediction time. Laia, the Aiel maiden who went missing in Shadar Logoth, oh, yeah. will return as a Shadar Logoth out antagonist. Because, um, we, you know, no brain matter. No brain so as far as we're concerned, she no didn't body, die no by the eternal rules yeah. of comic books. She no has body, not no died. Um, she's she's going to get all uh, mortified out and uh, and <laughs> return someday. So very much looking forward to evil Laia. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, okay. okay, let's let's do some more questions from Reddit. Now there was uh, one person couldn't get a voicemail to work, and so I'll I'll put this one up top. What is the most morally reprehensible thing Rand has done? Is he justified in creating the Ashaman given that they are an unstable cadre of men, a group of whom nearly wiped out the human race the last time mankind faced the Dark One? So this person basically, I, I think it's a bit of a leading leading question here. So what's the most morally reprehensible thing that he's done? Oh, by the way, it's this, it's creating the, the Ashaman. <laughs> Uh, but is there Disagree. something else that you guys would say? You got some, Ryan? No, uh, I was just thinking. I made the the Ashaman. I kind of treat the same way. Uh, the group that I can't think of the name of the group um, that created the atomic bomb. Like it's it's a very destructive force um, that ultimately will change the world entirely. But as for the most reprehensible thing that he's done, um. The only other thing that comes to mind is the unproven to be innocent slaughter of the lady in yeah. um, mm. Dragon Reborn. Oh, when he's uh, when he's walking along the trail and he kills, uh, kills the whole caravan. Not we just the lady, the whole caravan. Ten people yeah. and there ends up being 11. There yeah, I have a hard time getting past yeah. that bit. That's that's um, probably the one simply because we don't have enough proof to say that it was Dark Friends or that it was merited other than other the, than the gray one man. gray man mm-hmm. gray mm-hmm. in the there. middle of them. I think Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you're fine. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Honestly, I think for me, this will probably be very different, but the most morally repre- reprehensible thing that Brand does is his insistence that he cannot kill women because he has land fear in front of him for five books, <laughs> and he should straight up murder her. 
and he sees other Forsaken and like he, he talks about his inability to kill female Forsaken or female dark friends or whatever and how many people are going to die and suffer because he cannot do that because his morals dictate that he should not kill women <laughs> I love with, how you with say, my quote you, you, you know, say with, that like you're a terrible human being like, his more well, like, I think that it's back ass words <laughs> <laughs> I think that if if it's team team dark side go ahead and bail fire him or or do something because by letting them live by letting Lanfear live this whole time he's now lost Moraine which is a huge huge loss to it's him it's a personal loss to me I know and that. <laughs> And by not allowing the maidens to be maidens, he's hindering is that himself. Like, is that like let Trump be Trump? Like let Sh- the maidens sure, be maidens? Sure, if that's, if that's what you want to go for. <laughs> but, you know, he, he will not do that. And he puts himself at risk by not, by not killing women. And if he dies, then he's essentially doomed everybody. So that's, right. that's my... Yeah spin on it uh ken do you have a different answer than we've been provided i feel like the 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 first one i thought of was the caravan but i feel like there has been something and it's in the you know back of my mind there and i can't think of what it is it's haunting me like like loose theron back there that there was something in book four book three that he didn't i just went "Uh, i can't i I can't remember so we'll just default to uh, to the caravan i do want to mention or i do want to talk about what he does with the ashaman because i don't think that he um i don't think that he's in the wrong to create that you know to make the amnesty i i think it's perfectly reasonable to say hey by the way we shouldn't automatically hunt these people down and slaughter them right um you know but it's tough because you know these are people who could level entire villages or cities or whatever if you know if left unchecked so i i get it in a certain sense but uh anyway the Ashaman, the thing that that uh, brings up for me is that Rand, in his thinking as a ruler, is becoming incredibly fascistic. Um, there, there was a passage when he, when he came to them and said, "You are now uh, on track to become Ashaman," and he describes what he's doing with them, and it says uh, he, he, what does he say? Yeah, he describes the track that these people will go on he says the when you show up you'll be called a soldier because that is what he becomes when he joins us what you all became a soldier to fight the shadow and not just the shadow but anyone who opposes justice or oppresses the weak and on the face of it the words it's like oh very inspiring and totally reasonable because we need an army to fight the shadow and all this stuff but it's a hallmark of fascism that it's very militaristic everything is everything is uh with an eye toward uh military rigidity uh, and whatnot but then the key to it is that last part where he says we will bring justice um or we we will okay yeah. what were the words he uses anyone we will fight anyone who opposes justice or oppresses the weak and who gets to decide what is just who gets to decide who, who the weak are? Rand does. He's not going to delegate that to anybody else, right? And we've seen that a few times where, you know, his word is law. 
And anyway, so I'm I'm a little bit troubled by the way Rand sets up the Ashaman. Not necessarily the fact that he does it, but anyway. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see where that goes. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, but that's he, there's one other instance that I'm kind of I remember it bothering me. It's a little less fascist, but I, I had a hard time because it's missing the component of mercy. Uh, and this was a couple books back. Was when uh, one of his best Aiel uh, men came up to him and admitted to committing murder of a wetlander. Oh right, right. Oh right. Making mockery that- of G two or whatever, and he said. I said you have to hang, so go hang. And the guy just trotted off. Said okay. What? So what? What did you think of that? It scene? bothered me so badly because I, I really, as much as I understand the need for justice and law and order and everything, I, I firmly believe that there you can also provide mercy. And in this case, I sort of understand if you don't set the tone, then they'll it'll be mm-hmm. picking favorites type thing. But at the same time, it's you know one deed to undo an act, a, a whole life of of good work or whatever. It it bothered me. That whole section bothered me. It was definitely letter of the law versus spirit of the law. You know, but that's, but that's, but that's the Aiel. And I mean, the guy who, who hung understood it too. He didn't fight. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly the consequences and he accepted them. But it's also, I don't know that I agree with Rand holding the Aiel to wetlander laws per se. Um, But I, why? Why? Yeah. Because they have their own society and their own well, laws. I don't Yeah, think but they're that, not in the waste anymore. Yeah. They're on his turf now. Yeah. But I also think that in order to maintain the loyalty that he has for them, he can't completely throw their way of life and their laws out the door either. Oh man, that And I feel like offers I, so I many like, political but implications. G, but Gito now allows it's it's infinitely malleable. You could very easily just say that uh, my obligation or my my honor is tied mm-hmm. to following the laws mm-hmm. of wherever I am at the time or or yeah. whatever the Karakarn sets for me. That's how I incur toe. It's not like they have a written constitution. Yeah. However, for however, the the offense that the the Aielman killed the guy for was for having dragon tattoos on his arm. And for me, that is something sacred for the Aiel that Rand needs to respect as well. Because I feel like it's more of like their religious, their their sacred beliefs. Right. And if Rand is not willing to at least step up and try to protect some of those beliefs, I'm not saying that he can just let the Aiel do whatever the, whatever they want while they're in other lands. They definitely need to follow the law. But at the same time, taking that circumstance in you know, into account that, no, this is something that Obviously, the the wetlander guy doesn't understand, right? So it might not be right to allow him to kill him. But there was there's probably another way to go about disciplining him. I I, than, I disagree. This is hanging him. I feel like it's that, too absolute. That episode was not an illustration of justice versus mercy. It was an illustration of the need to be cautious when you're a freaking fascist dictator <laughs> uh if you are going to lay down a law you'd better make darn sure that this is the right way to structure the law and so he finds out that the that this murder has happened well he somewhat rashly in my opinion said if if condition a is met 
that person will hang. And it was a very, very broad condition, right? Mm-hmm. And so that I think he really messed up and mm-hmm. hopefully he understands that and does or will change the mm-hmm. law going forward. But I guess um, I'm such a fan of the rule of law that I am right with him. If if that's what you said and condition A was met, yeah, you gotta, you gotta hang him. Because if you don't, uh, well, chaos will reign. So, anyway, and he will be the lord of it. Uh, boy, I agree to disagree. This last five minutes brought to you by C-SPAN. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, I don't care. <laughs> whatever. Somebody, somebody out there found it interesting, even if it was only me re-listening to this episode. <laughs> uh, wake up, everybody! Wake Craig, up, wake up. Craig's gonna start calling in with his own questions for himself. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, this is Vikram. Uh, <laughs> Although that did remind me of the uh, Aiel complaining about Aiel cultural appropriation. The uh, wetlanders who were, you know, dressing in white and incurring toe, and they're like, "What is this? What do you uh, tell me more?" That, uh, that's about all. That's about all I had. I I can't remember the exact uh, chapters. Do you help me out, Kyle? Because you're the expert. So uh, the, the Kyrianen have basically appropriated a sort of watered down version of G. Yeah, a watered down version. Uh, virgin. <laughs> Version of wow, <laughs> a watered down what version. Just, wait, I'm just gonna go dressed hold in white. That's <laughs> uh, in prep. Oh, this is all just going to hell. Yeah, so they're basically pretending to be but yeah, they're, and they're, maidens, especially. They're basically saying, "Hey, we like this part of Aiel culture. We're gonna accept it, and we're gonna start wearing kimonos and calling each other San and stuff." Oh wait, I'm you know Americans incorporating Japanese. You know, the, the, the finer points or the, the, the neat points of IEL culture in, so this, into theirs be, and they're going to... This will be probably the last thing we talk about on this episode. And uh, do we dare, do we dare ask the question, you know, a, how how far is too far with cultural appropriation? Is it okay that the Kyrianen are doing this? Are we going to make some enemies from our listeners? That was exactly the thought I had, though. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, they're just... They're just accepting, you know, or, or, or taking the little parts that they like. But I, well, now you're talking, yeah. you know, now these are these are beliefs that are held very in very high regard to the IEL, and they don't appreciate it. And now you're like, oh, I feel like this it's is a, a whole it's cultural a really... appropriation argument that people are having all over the place today. And I'm like, oh, just shut up. Yeah, it, and it's something that's uh, somewhat ahead but it's of its very time. Important. Yeah, I, it's not that cultural appropriation was not at all an issue in the '90s. But it's certainly nothing like it is now oh, in 2017. Yeah. And so I, I feel like it's a very relevant question for a reader now to, to ask is how far is too far? Are the Kyrianen uh, trampling on something sacred or are they doing their best to honor something that they find, um, well, honorable? Uh, I I don't know the answer, and I think that Robert Jordan wasn't necessarily trying to give an answer either, because he presents several IEL who have differing views on the subject. Some want to just go like freaking murder all the Kyrian and who are doing this, they and then some of them against them anyways, right? Yeah, but some of them are like, you know what? Let them do what they want to do. At least they're at least they're following some form of Jito. 
at least they're bringing some form of honor into their lives these worthless tree killers you know mm-hmm. um so i don't know ryan do i dare ask what do you think i would so first off between those two options i would tend to side on the fence with the uh the ones who are saying just let them be you know they're following some sort of Ito. Uh-huh. but generally speaking with any sort of cultural appropriation my first thought is learn it right make it you can yeah. make it your own but make sure you understand it first right um this is still way too new for the Kyrian and to have understood it properly and appropriate it. So basically they saw shiny new cool idea. I like that. That guy is pretty kick-ass. I want to do what he's doing. Let me just kind of match what I think that is. And that to me is wrong. If someone takes the time, goes to the Aiel and says, I want to learn your ways, whatever I want to apprentice. I want to do whatever I need to do to, to learn this. Learns it and then says, okay, now as a Kyrian and... I can live by these these rules, and but it, to make it fit a little bit better, I can tweak this a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm more okay yeah. with that than what they've but, done. But hot yoga is not a thing for you. Right. <laughs> I can't really do the sweat tents, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and cut that from what I'm doing. So. But these Kyrian and feel like the equivalent of wearing the Kabbalah bracelet. It's interesting, yeah. too, because to Ryan's point, the Aiel would never let a Kyrian join them and learn even if they were completely humble and wanted to based solely off the fact that they're tree killers. So there's that racism going on there with the Aiel or culturalism, if you want to call it that. They say, you're Kyrian and there's no way we're going to teach you this, even if it was the most humble person coming to them. Um, But that being said, the Aiel are not opposed to allowing people. It's just very, very rare. You hear about it, obviously, with the Gwaine. Um, they're teaching yeah. Rand and Tigrain or Tigrain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she came over the Dragon Wall and they taught her and accepted her as an Aiel. So if, to Ryan's point, somebody is willing to learn it and adopt it and follow it, I think it's generally accceptable. However, in the case of the Kyrian, and there's no way in hell the Aiel are going to let that happen. <laughs> no. And so that, that's also working against them. They're not doing it the way that Ryan is describing and they're just basically taking bits and pieces that they like and warping it into something that works for them. So that's, that's the one side of it, but they they would never have been able to appropriate it in the first place. Right. right. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's call it there. We are going to basically shut off the microphones, take a little breather. We didn't talk about one certain scene. I don't care because we saying, have a whole other episode. I know. I'm just saying, this is, it's our teaser for next everyone, time. Uh, everyone listening into this is going to be like, what? do my wells. When are they going to get to do my wells? I, wait, <laughs> I waited. <laughs> we wasted the good surprise on you. You might want to put in there, <laughs> we don't go to do my wells until that part, part two. <laughs> <laughs> so don't bother listening to this one. It's right. worthless. <laughs> um, all right. We will talk about do my wells next. Well, for us, it's in the next. 10 minutes for you. It'll be next week. Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Sucker. Uh, I guess it'll be for me too because I won't re-listen to it until then. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Don't forget, you can go to our website and leave a voicemail. By the way, I will collect voicemails on any subject you'd like. And, you know, if it doesn't really fit into the next episode, I'll just hang on to it. And so if you have a burning question about Zelda or whatever, then, uh, you know, leave us a voicemail with with whatever you want. Uh, If we have an overwhelming response to the voicemails i'll need to up our 
subscription, which I am just fine with. You know why? Because we have patrons at patreon.com slash legendarium, and that sort of, uh, that support that we get there lets us do I, things that I think are pretty cool, like voicemail features. So any support that you can give us will help us to make the show better and more engaging for you, I hope. Uh, anyway, patreon.com slash legendarium. Thanks, everybody, for your support. Thank you very much for listening. Please share the show with anybody and everybody who you think might be interested in discussions, crappy, crappy discussions about fantasy literature. And we will see you next week for part two of our Lord of Chaos discussion. See you guys later. All right. Pee break. <laughs>